Welcome, one and all, back or for the first time, to the Womance Public Access Read-Along. <laughs> I'm Jesus sorry, I Christ. didn't want to interrupt you. <laughs> sorry, I just wanted to back up. That was my bad. That was my bad. I appreciate that fact. For listeners who didn't hear it, the Zoom voice just said that the meeting is being recorded as a backup because we need a backup nowadays. And I'm just like, it's my soul (laughs) went out through my nostrils. But that's okay because I'm about to have a very relaxing evening reading chapter 13 of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen uh, to my friend Isabeau. Um, which is a normal thing for me to do because on the public access read-along, I read the odd chapters. And I read the even chapters. And that means that last time, Isabeau read to me chapter 12. Isabeau, what happened in chapter XII? In chapter XII, Morgan, exactly two things happened. The sisters Bennett, Elizabeth, and Jane ordered the carriage from their mother And Mr. Darcy endeavored not to say 10 words to Elizabeth in the interim between the ordering of the carriage and the leave taking. That is the entirety of chapter XII. That is it. It's a total of like three pages in my book, Mm -hmm. front and back. Mm -hmm. So pretty short, a lot of brevity. Um, So let's see if chapter 13 is any meteor. Meteor? Meteor. Love it. So, yeah, just to clarify. All right. Chapter 13. I hope, my dear, said Mr. Bennett to his wife as they were at breakfast the next morning, that you have ordered a good dinner today because I have reason to expect an addition to our family party. Oh, my God, I'm so excited. (laughs) Who could it be? Who do you mean, my dear? I know of nobody that is coming, I'm sure, unless Charlotte Lucas should happen to call in, and I hope my dinners are good enough for her. I do not believe she often sees such at home. (laughs) The person of whom I speak is a gentleman and a stranger. Mrs. Bennet's eyes sparkled. A gentleman and a stranger? It is Mr. Bingley, I am sure. Why, Jane, you never dropped a word of this, you sly thing. Well, I am sure I shall be extremely glad to see Mr. Bingley. But, good Lord, how unlucky! There is not a bit of fish to be got today. Lydia, my love, ring the bell. I must speak to Hill this moment. It is not, Mr. Bingley, said her husband. It is a person whom I never saw in the whole course of my life. Why is he being so deliberately cagey and bitchy? I don't know. This, because it's bad news, but maybe he's trying to, like, get some, like, pizzazz out of it. I guess. That's a very generous interpretation. Mm. Spoiler alert. It's not great news. (laughs) This roused a general astonishment, and he had the pleasure of being eagerly questioned by his wife and five daughters at once. After amusing himself some time with their curiosity, well, there's your answer, Isabeau. Yep. He thus explained, about a month ago, I received this letter. And about a fortnight ago, I answered it, for I thought it is a case of some delicacy and requiring early attention. It is from my cousin, Mr. Collins, who, when I am dead, may turn you all out of this house as he pleases. (laughs) BT dubs, when I'm cold as a doornail dead in the ground, this guy's going to take the roof over the top of your heads. (laughs) Oh, my 
dear cried his wife i cannot bear to hear that mentioned pray do not talk of that odious man i do think it is the hardest thing in the world that your estate should be entailed away from you your own children and i am sure if i had been you i should have tried long ago to do something or other about it jane and elizabeth attempted to explain to her the nature of an entail they had often <laughs> attempted it before but it was a subject on which Mrs. Bennet was beyond the reach of reason, and she continued to rail bitterly against the cruelty of settling an estate away from a family of five daughters in favor of a man whom nobody cared anything about. Got to agree with Mrs. Bennet on this point, frankly. I do, too. And, I, you know, isn't her family, like, don't they practice law? Yeah, her brother is a lawyer. And her father did, too, so... Or no, her father didn't, but her brother is a lawyer. It just seems like she's being purposefully obtuse. I think maybe she's being a cultural critic right now. She's not being silly. Yeah, she's ahead of her time. Justice for Mrs. Bennett. Mm -hmm. We shall continue on. It certainly is a most inquietous affair, said Mr. Bennett. And nothing can clear Mr. Collins from the guilt of inheriting Longbourn. But if you will listen to his letter, you may perhaps be a little softened by his manner of expressing himself. No, that I am sure I shall not. And I think it is very impertinent of him to write to you at all, and very hypocritical. I hate such false friends. Why could he not keep on quarreling with you as his father did before him? <laughs> Why, indeed, he does seem to have had some filial scruples on that head, as you will hear. Dateline, Hunsford, near <laughs> Westerham, Kent. <laughs> 15th of October. Dear Sir, the disagreement subsisting between yourself and my late honored father always gave me much uneasiness, and since I have had the misfortune to lose him, I have frequently wished to heal the breach. But for some time I was kept back by my own doubts, fearing lest it might seem disrespectful to his memory for me to be on good terms with anyone with whom it had always pleased him to be at a variance. There, Mrs. Bennet, my mind, however, is now made up on the subject. For having received ordination at Easter, I have been so fortunate as to be distinguished by the patronage of the Right Honorable Lady Catherine de Burgh, widow of Sir Louis de Burgh, whose bounty and beneficence has preferred me to the valuable rectory of this parish, where it shall be my earnest endeavor to demean myself with grateful respect towards her ladyship and be very ready to perform those rites and ceremonies which are instituted by the church of england i feel like the amount of sierra simone i've been reading lately very much influenced my reading of that last <laughs> sentence and is not the correct tone i'm not going to redo it as a clergyman, moreover, I feel it my duty to promote and establish the blessing of peace in all families within the reach of my influence, and on these grounds I flatter myself that my present overtures of goodwill are highly commendable, and that the circumstances of my being next in the entail of Longbourn estate will be kindly overlooked on your side and not lead you to reject the offered olive branch." I cannot be otherwise than concerned at being the means of injuring your amiable daughters, and beg leave to apologize for it, as well as to assure you of my readiness to make them every possible amends. But of this hereafter, if you should have no objection to, 
objection to receive me into your home, I propose myself the satisfaction of waiting on you and your family Monday, November 18th by four o'clock and shall probably trespass on your hospitality till the Saturday Senate following. Senight? Senight. Senight following. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? It means one week. So a fortnight is two weeks. A senight is one week. Oh. Which I can do without any inconvenience, as Lady Catherine is far from objecting to my occasional absence on a Sunday, provided that some other clergyman is engaged to the duty of the day. I remain, dear sir, with respectful compliments to your lady and daughters, your well-wisher and friend. Who else but William Collins? Old Billy Collins. <laughs> OBC. At four o'clock, therefore, we may expect this peacemaking gentleman, said Mr. Bennett as he folded up the letter. He seems to be most conscientious and polite young man, upon my word, and I doubt not will prove a valuable acquaintance, especially if Lady Catherine should be so indulgent as to let him come to us again. There is some sense in what he says about the girls, however, and if he is disposed to make them any amends, I shall not be the person to discourage him. Though it is difficult, said Jane, to guess in what he may he can mean to make us the atonement he thinks our due, the wish is certainly to his credit. Elizabeth was chiefly struck with his extraordinary deference for Lady Catherine and his kind intention of christening, marrying, and burying his parishioners whenever it were required. He must be an oddity, I think, said she. I cannot make him out. There is something very pompous in his style. And what can he mean by apologizing for being next in the entail? We cannot suppose he would help it if he could. Can he be a sensible man, sir? No, my dear, I think not. I have great hopes of finding him quite the reverse. There is a mixture of servility and self-importance in his letter, which promises well. I am impatient to see him. In point of composition, said Mary. His letter does not seem defective. The idea of the olive branch perhaps is not wholly new, yet I think it is well expressed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mary. It sounds like one of your freshmen. <laughs> it does. <laughs> to Catherine and Lydia, neither the letter nor its writer were in any degree interesting. It was next to impossible that their cousin should come in a scarlet coat, and it was now some weeks since they had received pleasure from the society of a man in any other color. As for their mother, Mr. Collins' letter had done away much of her ill will, and she was preparing to see him with a degree of composure, which astonished her husband and daughters. It's because she's always two moves ahead of you fuckers. <laughs> Mr. Collins was punctual to his time and was received with great politeness by the whole family. Mr. Bennet indeed said little, but the ladies were ready enough to talk, and Mr. Collins seemed neither in need of encouragement nor inclined to be silent himself. He was a tall, heavy-looking young man of five-and-twenty. His air was grave and stately, and his manners were formal. He had not been long seated before he complimented Mrs. Bennet on having so fine a family of daughters, said he had heard much of their beauty, but that, in his instance, fame had fallen short of the truth, 
and added that he did not doubt her seeing them all in due time well disposed of in marriage. This gallantry was not much to the taste of some of his hearers, but Mrs. Bennet, who quarreled with no compliments, answered most readily. <laughs> you are very kind, sir, I am sure, and I wish with all my heart it may prove so, for else they will be destitute enough. Things are settled so oddly. You allude, perhaps, to the intel of this estate. <laughs> book is very funny. It's so funny. Ah, oh, sir. I do indeed. It is a grievous affair to my poor girls, you must confess. Not that I mean to find fault with you, for such things I know are all chance in this world. There is no knowing how estates will go when once they come to be entailed. <laughs> I am very sensible, madam, of the hardship to my fair cousins, and could say much on the subject, but that I am cautious of appearing forward in precipitate but I can assure the young ladies that I come prepared to admire them. <laughs> At present, I will not say more, but perhaps when we are better acquainted. He was interrupted by a summons to dinner, and the girls smiled at each other. They were not the only objects of Mr. Collins's admiration. The hall, the dining room, and all its furniture were examined and praised, and his commendation of everything would have touched Mrs. Bennet's heart, but for the mortifying supposition of his viewing it all as his own future property. The dinner, too, in its turn was highly admired, and he begged to know which of his fair cousins the excellence of its cookery was owing. But here he was set right by Mrs. Bennet, who assured him, with some asperity, that they were very well able to keep a good cook, and that her daughters had nothing to do in the kitchen. He begged pardon for having displeased her. In a softened tone, she declared herself not at all offended. But he continued to apologize for about a quarter of an hour. <laughs> and that concludes Lucky Numero 13. shocked by how early Mr. Collins shows up. Mr. Collins on the scene. Right away. Yeah, and you know what? <laughs> I love the line, uh, Mrs. Bennett wasn't going to quarrel with any compliment. Like, I know that that's meant to be mean and like a caustic discussion of her character. But here again, I think like Mrs. Bennett probably doesn't get a ton of compliments, certainly not from her intimate circle. Um, so the idea that she wouldn't, that she would quarrel with compliments is like, where is she getting them from otherwise? It's not like Lizzie and Mr. Bennett are like showering her in compliments. Oh, it's true. But it's also like, I mean, that's the right thing to do. <laughs> My favorite line is, there's no knowing how estates will go when once they come to be entailed. <laughs> When there's like literally every single way of knowing, it goes to the next male heir in order of chronology. I I also love that she's, you know, I know that the book isn't making her like willfully obtuse about it. I don't know. Maybe it is. That line, I think, is meant to point out how silly she is. But it is still fun to do a reading of this text in which Mrs. Bennett is 
a bit more heroic. And it's surprisingly easy to do. I agree. Like, it's all there. And the thing with your reading that I was thinking about as she, like, gets this, you know, thing and then he's like, you allude to the end tale. <laughs> it's like, yeah, dum-dum, she do. Alludes. Uh, <laughs> I like to think of it as he just learned the word allude. And he's excited <laughs> to use it in a sentence. So he's, like, shoehorning it in. But also, like, he doesn't want to imply, like, she's, you know, it, it is a comedy of manners, right? Exactly. <laughs> and this is one of those chapters where it really shines. But the thing about the entail going to the male heir in order of chronology is, like, England didn't fix that until the show Downton Abbey. Oh, is that true? Yeah, because in the House of Lords, they finally passed an act and they called it the Mary Act from Downton Abbey so that first daughters could inherit big estates. They named it after a fictional character. Like, they couldn't find one woman from history who should have inherited her estate. Yeah, I mean, they just they just as easily could have called it the Jane Bennett bill. Like, the, the thing was... They could have also found an actual human being <laughs> who was actually personally directly affected by this... Terrible law. Yeah. Yeah, they and could they have. they could have acknowledged their existence. They didn't. But yeah, it took Julian Fellows and his PBS melodrama to get England to change its staid ways. And acknowledge that women, too, can be terrible capitalists and inherit vast amounts of wealth. I think um, in the House of Lords, they would consider it a BBC series. <laughs> You're right. You're right. <laughs> Ugh. We're so, we're so America-centric. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we consume British shit with a fervor. We, we're like, this was made by PBS. <laughs> and Viking cruises. All right. Well, I'm just like too darn excited to hear about the rest of the dinner. So I'd frankly like to wrap this conversation up. All right. Let's do it. Uh, with that, loosen your prides. But not your prejudices. What? No, you can't that way. <laughs> oh, no. I forgot what I was fighting against. Loosen your prejudices. And your prides. But, oh. <laughs> an asshole. You do the loosen part. <laughs> loosen your pride. Now, <laughs> no. <laughs> Say loosen your prejudices. <laughs> loosen your prejudices. But never your pride. There we go. <laughs> Justice for Mrs. Bennett. <laughs> Justice for Bennett. Mrs. Bennett. <laughs>